Did everybody have a good Christmas? Who's ready for 2022? Yeah? Ah, that's kind of mixed results there. It's coming, only a week away. I tell you, yesterday um, I got a chance to talk to my my dad, and uh, you know, it reminded me of how important Christmas is with your family. And while a lot of miles separate my dad and I, we got a chance to chat yesterday. And he's a senior pastor in Florida, and so he was sharing how he had done two Christmas Eve services, and then he had two services on Sunday, and he's taking a break. And I said, well, Dad, I, you and I have something in common there, because <laughs> I can relate. But I tell you, I love, and I'm, I love him so much, and I'm so proud of him, if you guys knew the story of where he came from and where he is now, to see him in the ministry speaking truth into people's lives it is amazing so dad if you get a chance to watch this at some point i just want you to know i love you and i'm proud of you so if you have your bibles turn with me to matthew chapter 3 and in this chapter john the baptist is just beginning his preaching ministry his purpose was to prepare the way for jesus and this was his message Repent of your sins and turn to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, that's just as relevant today as it was then. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea came out to hear John preach, and they confessed their sins, and then John baptized them in the Jordan River. Eventually, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to watch him baptize. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the teachers, and they were very, very well-educated in the scriptures. The Pharisees, these were the law keepers. These were the tradition promoters. The Sadducees, they were the wealthy ruling class. Both of these groups were the ones who would eventually grow jealous of Jesus, and they'd hate him so much that they'd have him crucified on the cross. When John the Baptist saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out to watch him baptize, He called them a brood of snakes. Some of you might understand just how offensive that this is because when he called them a brood of snakes, what he's essentially saying is, you are a son of Satan, is what he said. Now, this is the same name that Jesus would later call them. Of course, Jesus would also call them hypocrites. He'd call them whitewashed tombs. Jesus warned the people to listen to them because they knew the truth, right? but not to follow their example because their actions did not align with what they said they believed. So John the Baptist, he's talking to the Sadducees and Pharisees, and this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way that you live. This is a very profound statement. So let me ask you, How are you living? Does the way you live your life reflect your belief in Jesus as Lord and what he did for you as Savior? Can you prove it? That's the title of today's message. Prove it. Do you consider yourself a Christian? Prove it. Do you love Jesus? Prove it. You know, there was a young man... on the Christmas Eve service, the very first one who sat right over here. And when I was talking about how we are to love Jesus like Jesus loves us, 
he just blurted out in the service, I love Jesus. A lot of people heard him that day. And I tell you, it was so awesome to see the innocence and the purity in what he had to say. You and I need to have faith like that. We need to have faith like those children. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this next question that I'm going to ask you. If you were in a court of law and the charge against you was your faith in Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If witnesses were called, would they be able to provide testimony that verifies your faith? These are some very deep questions. And I hope as you reflect on how you'd answer these questions that you'll soon see that coming to church, reading your Bible once in a while, half-heartedly singing worship songs, or even being a good person are all insufficient evidence to support you being a faith-filled, fully devoted follower of Jesus. Unfortunately, there are far too many so-called Christians in the world today who say they believe in God, but they live their lives as if he doesn't even exist. Pastor Craig Rochelle has a name for these kind of people. He calls them Christian atheists. You know, I used to be a Christian atheist. I had always believed in God, but I didn't always live my life as if he truly existed. And I could put it another way. I believed in him, but he wasn't the Lord of my life. You can put any kind of fancy label on it that you want. You could call me a carnal Christian. You could have called me a Christian atheist. Make up whatever name you want. But the Bible is very clear. There are only two categories of people. Christians and non-Christians, believers and unbelievers. That's it. It really comes down to those who have bowed down to the lordship of Jesus Christ and those who have not. My problem was that I lived my life as if everything depended upon me. And if you looked at the world and then you look back at my life, there would be very little that would distinguish me from the world. I engaged in all kinds of the same activities as the people in the world. And then I would always find a way to justify, rationalize, or simply dismiss my behavior. So back then, if I had to answer the question, is there enough evidence to convict me, right, for being a Christian? Sadly, I would have to answer that question, no. You see, I used to think that believing in God was enough. In other words, I understood that salvation was a free gift. But what I didn't truly understand was that by accepting this free gift, it would cost me my life. Because if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, you will give up your life to do the will of your heavenly Father. And that means there will be sufficient evidence of your faith. So praise the Lord that I didn't stay in a life of Christian atheism. Now, does that mean I still don't have my struggles, right? Or I face temptations? Absolutely not. Man, I'm imperfect. I make mistakes all the time. When you're truly saved, life is not all about sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops. Life is a battle. We're at war every single day, whether you realize it or not. We are. The world gives us pleasures galore to numb our mind and our senses to make life cozy, comfortable, and convenient. So many of us trudge along in life, and we don't really think about the battle going on all around us. 
We don't. I've said this before. Casual Christians become Christian casualties. We can't just stroll along casually doing whatever we feel like doing. We all need to wake up from our slumber. We've got to get engaged, get in the good fight, and fight the fight of faith. And how do we fight like men and women of God? Well, that's a message for another day. Today, our focus is proving by the way that we live that our faith is genuine. Now listen, I want to be very clear right from the beginning of this message. We don't change our lives in order to be saved. When we're saved, that's what changes our lives. Because true faith always results in a changed life. Always. And it's by God's grace through this kind of faith that we're saved. It's not by our good works. We're not rewarded with salvation because of the good works that we do. Our good works are not what saves us. We could never do anything to save ourselves. Never. It's only by what Jesus has already done for us. That's why Jesus' last words on the cross, as he hung there and died for you and me, were, it is finished. He finished the very work that you and I could never, ever complete, no matter how much we try. He lived a sinless, perfect life in complete obedience to God. He paid our sin debt, defeating death, hell, and Satan. And he made the only way for us to be saved, and that's through him. It is finished. We are saved through our faith. However, the proof of genuine faith is in what we do. It's in what we do. I'm going to show you that you can't say you love Jesus unless you can prove it by your obedience. Because our obedience is the evidence of true saving faith. Let's pray. Father, we need you. And I pray right now that you'd focus our hearts and minds upon your word. Open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you might be sitting there and you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute. The Bible says all I have to do is just believe and I'll be saved. Well, that's not quite the whole story. Have I got your attention now? It's not quite the whole story. So I want you to stay with me. Yes, you must believe. But the key is in what kind of belief that we're talking about here. The Bible is not just talking about believing with your head, right? You've heard Pastor Bruce say this. Some people miss heaven by 18 inches from their head to their heart, right? To believe is to have a change of heart that leads to action. To truly believe is to actually have faith in action. The book of James does an excellent job showing that faith and action, they go hand in hand. Watch this. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. James goes on to say, now someone may argue, some people have faith, 
Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? You see, what James is saying here is that authentic faith and good deeds are inseparable. Even the demons believe, he said. But they certainly do not obey, and that is the difference. It's one thing to believe intellectually, but if our actions don't follow what we say we believe, then there really isn't any true saving faith. Our good deeds done in obedience are the evidence that our faith is genuine. James goes on to give two specific examples of faith in action. First, he talks about Abraham. You guys know that story. Abraham was told to go sacrifice his one and only son. And he did exactly what the Lord had asked him to do. His faith and his actions work together. His actions are what made his faith complete. And then in the second example that James talks about, he talks about the prostitute Rahab, who had heard about who God was, and then she risked her and her family's life by hiding the two men that Joshua had sent out to spy the land. You can read all about her story in Joshua chapter 2. In both examples, it was their actions that proved that their faith was genuine. Because genuine faith always requires action. James says it this way in chapter 3. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Prove it. The proof is in what we do. Does your life look any different than those who don't know God? In an article titled, Salvation is a Free Gift That Will Cost You Everything, Jerry Moyer from Jubilee Ministry, he says this, quote, I have often wondered why so many Christians ride the fence with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They want just enough of God to escape their problem, but not enough of God to fulfill his purpose. Mm. That's good right there. You can't ride the fence and be a follower of Jesus. Following him means you leave everything else behind, including ourselves. We've got to be all in for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, don't say you love Jesus unless you can prove it by your obedience. The true test of our love for Jesus stems from our obedience. Jesus said this to his disciples just before he was crucified in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And then in verse 21, he says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Our obedience shows whether we truly love Jesus or not. This is the only reliable measure of our love for him. When we obey him, we prove that we love him. 
Now listen to me, the Christian life is not all about rules and commandments that we must follow. Some people think that. The Pharisees and Sadducees thought that. But it's about a relationship with the one who gave his very life for us, to save us. It's all about Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There is no way, no truth, and no life apart from him. Amen. Amen. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You see, when we know him, we will love him. And when we love him, we will desire to obey him. We obey because we love. We obey because we don't want to disappoint him. We obey because we don't want to grieve him. Our motivation for obedience isn't about rule-keeping. Our motivation is to be like him and to love him completely. Now let's go back to that question that I asked earlier. Would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were to stand trial for your faith in Jesus? To answer this question, we've all got to do what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church to do. He said this in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test or prove yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you've failed the test of genuine faith. We have to really take a serious inventory of our lives to determine if we truly are who we think we are in Christ. We've got to examine ourselves. It's like being in a courtroom. There's an examination of the evidence. We can't rely on the fact that we recited some simple prayer some time ago or that we raised our hand in some religious experience because we felt good. We need to prove that our faith is real. Is there evidence of salvation in your life right now? That's the question. The standard that we use to examine ourselves is not what someone says about us or even what we think about ourselves. And it's not a list of all of our good works either. It starts with an honest evaluation of our relationship with Jesus. Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Do you really love him? Do you fear him or do you fear man? The world, your circumstances, the future. Do you have faith over fear? Is he Lord of your life? In other words, is he the master of your whole life, not just part of it, but all of it? Is he your source of strength? Is he your king? Do you desire to serve him? Is he Lord of your life or are you? Now let's go a bit deeper. Let's get practical for a moment. I'm going to give you three test questions to help you examine and ultimately prove your faith. And these test questions will reveal whether your faith is genuine or not. And they will also show you if you're living out your faith or not. So, number one, what is your relationship with sin? What's your relationship with sin? Now, I'm starting with this one because Jesus took this one very seriously. He cared enough about this one that he willingly gave his life for it that we might be saved. Now, the word says that when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
This means we should have a new relationship with sin. Sin is no longer our master. Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. A new relationship with sin means we cannot be complacent in it. We don't play around with it. We should grow to hate it. We should do everything we can to avoid it. Is he Lord of your life? Then you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. Are you sensitive to sin? If you're a child of God, then you should have a real sensitivity to sin. A true child of God cannot be complacent in sin. It's a complete contradiction. We can't claim to know God and wallow in sin at the same time. We cannot be living in willful, continued disobedience because a lifestyle of living for Jesus does not mean a lifestyle of sin. In case you thought I was making all that up, watch this. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Do you hear that? There's a warning right there. Don't let anyone deceive you about this, and they will try. When people do what is right, it shows or proves that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows or proves that they, don't, they belong to the devil, who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this passage. We all struggle with sin. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. This passage is talking about a, living a lifestyle of sin, making it a habit. If you're a child of God, then you can't be living in a lifestyle of sin. You can't be making a habit of living in the same sin. If you're caught up in the habit of some sin without conviction, listen to me, that should be a huge warning to you. Again, I'm not talking about a sin that you're seeking help to overcome, a sin that you're praying for victory over, or a sin that you're seeking godly counsel over. I'm talking about sin that you're continuing to indulge in. This does not line up with the scripture that we just read. Because children of God do not make a practice of, they do not make a habit of, or a lifestyle of sinning because they can't. God's Holy Spirit dwells in them. So what is your relationship with sin? Does it repulse you or does it attract you? Do you have a sensitivity to sin? Now, if you're here today and you need forgiveness for some sort of sin that you're struggling with, you've come to the right place. You have. You've come to the right place because God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for your sins so that you would be saved. So cry out to Jesus to break free from the bondage of sin. Confess your sin. Ask him for forgiveness and then repent of it. And you know what will happen? He will forgive you. He will forgive you. Here's a promise in this verse that you should never forget. We'll start in verse 8. 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have no sin... We're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Let me pause for a minute. Some of you might be here and thinking, I'm good. I'm not struggling with anything. Uh-uh. We're all struggling with something. 
That's what this verse is saying. If you think you don't have a sin, you're fooling yourself. We all need Jesus. We all need it. But watch this promise. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. That's good right there. Now, thank you, Jesus. That's a promise that you can hold on to right there. There is freedom in Jesus. So child of God, you no longer have to sit in the cage of sin because Jesus has already unlocked the door for you. So come out and be free. Now, the second test question to examine ourselves and prove if our faith is genuine is this. What is your relationship with the Word? What's your relationship with the Word? Do you read it on a regular basis? Is it part of your daily routine? God's word is the primary way that we get to know him because in it, God reveals who he is. How can we claim to know God if we're not in his word? His word is not only how we get to know him, but it also teaches us how to live our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. It's our owner's manual for life. It's why we have this new Bible reading plan that Steve spoke of in the announcements, that you can pick up information on. Well, it should be right in your bulletin. There should be a little insert in there. It talks about this reading plan. It's a new way to study the Bible. You're not just reading it. You're actually studying it. There's a huge difference. So check that out. You know, the Bible was given by God himself over a period of roughly 2,000 years using 40 different human authors across 66 different books. There's no other book like it in the world. And the world will tell you it's not relevant. The, ro- the world will tell you that it's flawed, that it's full of errors. However, I'm here to tell you, it's without error. It's the only reliable source of truth. So what kind of relationship should we have with the Word of God? Well, there are a ton of scriptures that talk about this, and I'm going to give you just a few of them. This comes from Psalm 119. We'll begin here in verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This hiding the word in your heart, that's talking about memorizing the word, right? So that you actually can incorporate that, that you can actually live it out, right? You're struggling with something. You're upset and not sure if you can get through. And you can remember Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And then you're worried about which way am I going to go in life. And you're like, you know what? I know that scripture reminds me that in his heart a man plans his course, but it's the Lord who determines his steps, right? And then I'm wondering about which way am I supposed to go in life. Or I'm worried about something, and I can think about Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything, right? I could go on and on and on. You want to hide his word in your heart. Because you know what, friend? There may come a day that you won't have access to this anymore. Okay? Think I'm not kidding? Read your Bible. It's coming. It's probably closer than we all think. So you want to hide the word in his heart, or in your heart. If I move on here in verse 15 and 16, it says, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. 
You see the kind of relationship the psalmist has here with the word? And if I keep going in verse 40, I long to obey your commandments. I long because it's a part of who I am. Verse 47, how I delight in your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Verse 56, this is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Verse 97, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Verse 103, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Man, I love some honey. I was just taking some honey backstage, y'all to help me out here in my throat. I love honey, but I tell you what, the word of God is sweeter than honey. Verse 111, your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. Are they your heart's delight? Are they? Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. My source of hope. And verse 120, I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. Do we have that kind of relationship with the word? Is it our source of hope? Do we stand in awe of it? Is it our heart's delight? Is it our treasure? Do we study it? Are we passionate about it? Listen, here's why the word of God is so important. Because the word of God is Jesus himself. Jesus is the word of God. Now I've got a lot of favorite scriptures, but here's here's one of them. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It all points back to Jesus. What is your relationship with the word? Are you doing what it says? Prove it. Prove it. Jesus says in Luke 6:46, "Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say?" And how do you know what it says if you're not in his word? You know, there are a lot of medications in the world today that you can get from your local pharmacy. Seems like if you get a boo-boo on your elbow, they've got some kind of medication for it, right? There's all kinds of drugs out there that can fix this and can fix that, so to speak. But nothing compares like this. This is God's prescription for us. Take this at least once a day or even more often. You can't overdose on it. I love this picture. You can't get enough of the Bible. And then scripture on the bottom, Proverbs chapter 4. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. How many of you need some health to your whole body? Are you all not excited today? Come on. You guys have no idea how long I've waited to preach this very message right here. This is some good stuff. I want that prescription. God's prescription for the world's problem is his word. It's Jesus himself. Here's the bottom line when it comes to proving whether your faith is genuine or not. Here it is. 
You want to know that you know that you know Jesus? The Word of God. One of my all-time favorites. 1 John chapter 2. Listen to this. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show or prove how completely they love him. This is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Loving him is a lifestyle of obedience because love and obedience go hand in hand. How can we say we truly love him when we don't obey his word? How can we say we are his followers when we don't follow him? We have to examine ourselves. Are we living our lives like Jesus did? Jesus, the word, is the only standard of measurement that we can use to truly examine ourselves. Now, the third test question to examine ourselves and prove if our faith is genuine is this. What is your relationship with others? What's your relationship with others? How we treat others is a significant indicator of our authenticity of our faith. We cannot be a child of God and not of other people. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what the most important commandment in the law of Moses was, Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 22, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Right? He said this was the first and greatest commandment. He then says that the second is as equally important, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said the entire law is based on these two commandments. In other words, you can boil everything down to obeying God and just two commandments. Loving God, loving people. Okay? And then in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. How many of you love freedom? I love freedom. I'm tired of it being oppressed in this country, I can tell you that. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're thinking, well, okay, who's my neighbor? You're missing the point. You are missing the point. We shouldn't be asking the question, who is my neighbor? We should be asking, who am I? And then we respond in, with compassion no matter who it is. That's what Jesus would have done, right? What is our relationship with other people? Do we genuinely care about them or are we so consumed with ourselves that we don't truly love them? Do we genuinely care about them or not? Love is much more than words. It requires action. And it's this action that proves to the world who we are and whose we are. John says this in chapter 13, verse 35. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Are you proving it? Are you proving it? Are we taking action when it comes to loving other people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ? 1 John chapter 3 says this, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we've passed from death 
to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He goes on to say, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will prove that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Do our actions reflect that we belong to the truth? We know what real love is because Jesus gave us his example. He died for us. Would you give your life for someone else? You know, your life is your witness. So how are you living? We have to prove by the way that we live that we've repented of our sins and turned to God. We don't change our lives in order to be saved. When we're saved, that's what changes our lives. Because True faith always results in a changed life. The proof is in what we do. It's in our actions. If you're a child of God, then it's a natural overflow of the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of you. And a life of following Jesus, it starts with a changed heart that results in action because true belief is faith in action. We cannot say we love Jesus unless we can prove it by our obedience. Because when we obey him, we prove that we love him. Our obedience is the evidence of true saving faith. Now, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 reminds us to examine ourselves to see if our faith is genuine. We should do this. We are to test or prove ourselves. And I gave you three questions to help you do that. What is your relationship with sin? What is your relationship with the word? And what is your relationship with others? So I'm going to leave you with one last scripture. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It's at the very, very bottom of your handout. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Prove it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you proved your love for us by sending your son. We thank you, Jesus, for the mighty blessing that you've poured out into our lives. Some of you may be here today and you've recognized by asking yourself these questions that you might know Jesus, but you're not following him the way you should. But you're ready to rededicate your life. You're ready to make some commitments as you're heading into 2022 that your actions, you want your actions to actually line up with what you believe. If that's you, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Any others? Thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot of hands. Okay. Father, we just ask that you would fill those who really want to make their actions line up with what they believe. Lord, that you would fill their life with your Holy Spirit. Give them the power to walk by faith and not by sight. And for them to actually follow through on obeying you, Lord, because we know that when we love you, we will obey you. So I thank you for that commitment. Others of you are here today as we keep praying. You maybe have never made that commitment to follow Jesus. But you feel his Holy Spirit within you right now, and you want to make that commitment. Let me tell you something. John chapter 6, verses 36 says, Anyone who comes to him, he will by no means cast out. 
Do you know that? That means he'll never reject you. So if you're here today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, you want to make him Lord of your life, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. So if that's you and you want to make that decision, just pray this after me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior and I cannot save myself. And so, Lord, I lay down my life right now. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. I recognize that you are the true Lord and Savior, that you died for me, that you rose again from the grave three days later, and I'm going to put my trust in you from this day forward. I dedicate my life to you. If that's you, welcome to the kingdom of God. Lord, I want to say thank you so very much for this time of year, this season that we're in. I ask your blessing over this church and every person here, and I pray that 2022 would be a year that we all can celebrate and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.